0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. It's back to school time, and you know what that means? germs Lots of germs. Lots of kids sharing germs. What can you do to keep your family healthy and safe? Well, today we're going to learn. Dr. Patrice Tim Singh is in the studio from Kaiser Permanente. We're going to talk about how to avoid getting sick during the school year. Whether you're a student, a parent, an auntie, an uncle, or a grandparent, there are tips that we can all take to make sure that we keep our immune systems working well and our sick days to a minimum. Now, as always, our show is your show, and you can always join us at 941-3689, toll free 877, 941-3689. Dr. Tim Singh, welcome to The Body Show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, I have to tell you, Kaiser put out a statement the other day that I think was really, really educational and helpful, and it had to do with hepatitis A, do Yeah, we? Kaiser Permanente. Yes, and in fact, you know, a lot of kids have already been immunized for this. We started giving immunizations maybe sometime in the mid-90s or so. For the last 10 years or so, most most kids have gotten this as part of a routine vaccination series. When do kids get hep A shots, and what about the rest of us?
1: Well, if we look to the past, we began giving hepatitis A more routinely to, in fact, the you know mid-age kids. And then probably within the past 10 years, I don't know exactly which year, we started giving it to the one-year-olds. And so at that point, they get the first hepatitis A, and then at least six months later, the second he- hepatitis A that would confer, of course, as you well know, lifelong immunity.
0: And so if you've gotten the two shots, you're protected for life. You Paul get protected. What about the parents? We hear a lot about the parents, and they're concerned about whether or not they should be immunized. There's been a couple of different locations that have been identified to have employees that have been diagnosed with hep a. However, those particular facilities have not been found to be the source. We're looking for the source. I think the Centers for Disease Control is on hand uh, last week, this week, and however long they need to be to help out our own local Department of Health in identifying where this has come from. If you have kids who are immunized
1: and parents who are worried, What should they do? Good question, and in fact, um, if you look at our schedule, much of it ends up being telephone calls from families wondering whether or not, one, is my child immunized, and number two, should I get immunized? of course, we, we talk about mainly that, yes, you may get immunized, but do you really have risk factors? And so, you know, the risk factors, of course, would be that you're a food handler or you're working in a restaurant or what have you that's already been identified to have hep A. So I do offer the hep A vaccine to our families, but, uh, you know, Well, the Department of of Health,
0: sure, put out some guidelines, and they pretty much said if you're exposed to someone who was diagnosed, then you may want to consider getting Mm -hmm. immunized. Mm -hmm. If you have shopped at or been at one of the facilities where it's been identified that someone has had hepatitis A and you were there during those dates, you can talk to your primary care provider and, and consider getting immunized. Not everybody has to get immunized, though. I agree completely. And you're probably getting hundreds of calls, as am I in the office. What should we do? And, you know, if you have a diagnosis of liver disease, then talk with your primary care doctor or your gastroenterologist because you may be at particular risk. And, in fact, you might have already gotten immunized. A lot of folks who have been identified to have a different form of hepatitis will often get immunized Mm -hmm. for hepatitis A, in addition, just as a proactive precaution. A lot of travelers have had this immunization as well. Mainly because of the fact that if they're traveling to certain countries where it is endemic, then it's in the recommended list. But there is not a blanket recommendation for the whole island to get immunized. Correct, it's
1: and not a recommendation to get immunized this week you know, or something like that. Because sure. So there, there is, seems is to that be more concern. of a fear right. factor, right? So if you have questions, you know, if you have hepatitis
0: A symptoms, let's review some of those so people understand what they are.
1: Well, in general, you're gonna it's gonna feel much like you would the flu. Malaise, or you know, tiredness, fatigue, but but the diagnosis, or the the more critical characteristic, might be jaundice. In fact, you can get yellow 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 eyes, yellow skin.
0: Sure, and if you get the most obvious. Contact your doctor. There's supportive treatments. You know, we give people intravenous fluids if they get dehydrated. There's not really any prescription medical treatment that is provided. Um, Hospitalized patients may have a different scenario. But generally the idea is if you're concerned, talk to your doctor or talk to your primary care provider. But don't freak out. Correct. I'm seeing a lot of people getting really, really worried that they may be exposed, even though they've never had any exposure before and they generally cook their own food, they don't Mm -hmm. eat out a lot, they're not really shopping or going to places that serve food, so -hmm. they're usually pretty okay. I agree. All right. Now, some of the other things that we recommend for kids that have come out this week, flu shots. We recommend the flu shot for kids, particularly for kids and adults, pretty much any age, really, Mm -hmm. because that's another infection that you can get when you're in a group environment. And so influenza is something where we get a different shot every year and flu shots are out. So people should consider getting
1: a flu shot as soon as it's available at their provider's office because it protects them. Correct. And when we look at flu shots, uh, we are not giving it to everybody. It would be six months and older. So we're we're starting at the six-month age and then go from there. We usually give them a split half dose the first time they get it, really for safety's sake. And then to confer the one-year of immunity, we give them the second shot at least a month later.
0: And that starts when they're young. Six months of age. And then when they're older, them. they may actually just
1: get one shot. The annual. And, and you bring up a good point as far as going with shots because we do know that we probably won't be giving the nasal flu mist this year, because, well, at least for this year because of problem with efficacy and actually working. Sure. I mean,
0: people get influenza f- mm-hmm. through the respiratory tract, mm-hmm. so either through nose or coughing, et cetera. So it made sense to immunize that particular area of the body. Mm-hmm. And in the past, previous years, it's been fairly mm-hmm. successful. This year, they determined not so much, so mm-hmm. kind of veering
1: against or away from the flu mist. Right. So right. some of the kids are going to be really sad about that because, of course,
0: they got most of them are getting
1: it at school, right? They were looking forward to getting it nasally, but... Back to mm. shots. Going to be a different way. Now, we'll f- do what works. Exactly.
0: That's 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 the whole idea. Now, are flu shots routinely offered in school? Yes. So
1: if you are a parent... Well, at least for public schools. Okay. I, I wouldn't speak to uh, the privates, some of the privates, but not all. So public schools, if your kid's in public school,
0: yeah. they will be offered the flu shot at some point. Correct. So you don't have to rush to go get that one. For elementary school. Elementary okay. school. Now, what are some of the ways that... And we can sort of separate it from younger kids and older kids. Okay. So younger kids, maybe we'll say up to, I don't know, like middle school or so, and older kids would be those in later years of medical school, middle mm-hmm. school, high school, and so on. Uh, for young kids, how do they keep spreading germs? How is it that, you know, Johnny gets sick and he brings it home and all of his family members get it and poor mom and dad get it and the next thing you know, everybody in their workplace has it. What is the mechanism by which people are getting these infections?
1: The mechanism that our kids are getting sick is really because they're being kids and touching each other and probably not washing hands and this and that. Um, If we're going to blame one, it might be sending our kids to school sick.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very true. That could be it. So if you have a sick child and you send them to school sick, then they're going (laughs) to infect everybody else. And so now we're going to see this increased level of exposure Mm -hmm. and other kids are going to get sick. So what criteria should parents use to keep their son or daughter home from school?
1: Well, the Centers for Disease Control suggests that we keep our kids home 24 hours, no fever. So if they've had a fever within 24 hours, they should stay home. And then I think if you look at looser criteria, it may be lots of caffeine, or lots of hanabata or l- lots of mucus from the nose because we do know that there's virus there, there's pathogen there. All a kiddo needs to do is wipe his nose and then, you know, share his pencil or go to the playground and play tag or what have you.
0: And so really if there's a lot of stuff, drainage from anywhere, or if
1: you still have a consider fever. Consider staying home. Do you recommend Tylenol? Tylenol. I would use Thailand also. from a pediatrician's point of view, we do know that we do not have to be afraid of fevers. That's one why thing. is that?
0: I mean, people have a fear. Oh, no, the temperature is going up. What should we do? Mm-hmm. It's actually more dangerous in older people than mm-hmm. it is in younger people.
1: Mm-hmm. So why should we stop fearing fevers? Because fevers do not cause problems per se. There is something called the febrile seizure. You've, a child may have a seizure with a fever, but that in and of itself is not a medical concern. I think people are just scared. What, should I be worried about why the child has a fever? And so I'll usually allay some of the fears by saying nothing bad is going to happen with a fever. If your child is eating, playing, looks pretty happy, and they've got a 105, you probably do not need to use Tylenol because they're happy, eating, and playful. On the other hand, many children will look as if they need to go to the emergency immediately because they've got a 105. They're laying in bed. They can't even drink water. Then I say, please use Tylenol. Because in that sense, we can give them fluids and keep them hydrated with the, with the illness.
0: So treat the fever if they're having obvious physical symptoms you can see. And if they're not having those symptoms, you may be able to let the fever
1: ride. And there's other ways of treating fever. Like? Well, and it's interesting because I've, I've
0: talked to some microbiologists and one of the things that they've, they've said is, you know, a fever is your body's natural response to infection with the idea that with a fever, in some cases, bacteria or viruses replicate at a slower rate. So if the body can mount an immune response and mount this higher temperature, then it gives your own body's natural immune system the ability to fight off this infection, which may actually be weakened in a little bit because now there's a higher temperature. Plus, it also makes you go lay down. So, you know, if you're not expending all of your energy doing running around playing or doing all these other things, then you can actually get some rest and your body can focus that energy on fighting infection. So, in fact... Although our initial thought is, I have a fever, let me treat this, maybe the fever is actually productive for the body in ways we don't normally
1: consider. That makes a lot of physiologic sense. I guess in that sense, you're rest to chill. Yeah, <laughs> literally. And
0: then in people talk about, I felt better when my, quote, fever broke. Correct. And usually that's an indication that your body has started to win the battle and the tides have turned, and now your immune system will be able to take care of whatever that infection is.
1: Some of the things I tell my families to do, and it's not just about using medication. It's really, you know what, we want to put a light blanket on our child, but don't wrap them up in this huge comforter because you're seeing chilling. Let them mount that hypothalamic fever. That's where we're trying to get to so that they can come off the fever quicker. So we use maybe some hot uh, cool compresses and put a light blanket on rather than really jacket them up when they're having chills prior to the fever.
0: And that can also help with adults, too. I mean, oh, of sometimes. If and fluids, can, right? Sure, lots of core. fluids, right. But also, don't get dehydrated. When your temperature goes up, you burn through fluids faster. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you actually lower the amount of uh, of your your ability to get dehydrated. You want to increase your fluid intake so you can lower that that tendency to get dehydrated and wind up feeling as though you feel even worse. Correct. That just makes things even more miserable. So what should you do if you're a parent and one of your kids comes home sick? How do you keep your other kids from getting the same thing?
1: In general, you want to separate the kiddo who is ill from the kiddos who aren't. I think we go back to you know almost everything that we need to learn, we learned in kindergarten. And you know we know that our kindergarten teachers told us to wash our hands. <laughs> I do not so remember
0: kindergarten. I'm in lots of trouble.
1: <laughs> okay, maybe so I got it your... in preschool. I went maybe, to head start. I don't know, so you I know, don't
0: know. Well, fancy, I don't So mind.
1: it is as simple as that. Wash your hands. You want to keep the kids separate as much as you can. You know, with that said, I don't necessarily think that it's really easy to do. And then wash hands, wash hands, wash hands. And try to keep the hands away from nose and eye, right? Because it may be difficult to wash hands or disinfect the whole kitchen or what have you. But if we put our hand on the table that might have had, you know, some mucus on there or what have you, we don't want to put our hand in our mouth and we don't want to rub our nose and we don't want to rub our eye because that's the way the pathogen or the virus or that particular germ gets into the body.
0: Sure. Pink eye, lots of people can get it. One of the hardest things is that it's very contagious. Mm-hmm. You get it from one to the next to the next. Now, I remember, and this is many years ago, that when I was younger and we still got chicken pox, which kids don't get anymore, my mother was like, all right, listen, one kid has it, put them all Everybody together. in the tub. Let them all get it together. Exactly. I'm seeing some hands raised here. Like, yeah, that might have happened too. And so if you have a situation like that and you know that one kid is going to get sick and maybe the next one and the next one, is that still something that parents could do to just sort of get rid of the wave of illness all at
1: once? I guess in general it might make sense, except that when you're looking at the common cold, you're not sure which kiddo is just going to have a butter runny nose versus a kiddo who's going to end up having it stuck in the lungs. He's got a history of asthma or what have you. Looking at the contagion of varicella or chicken posse, it did make sense that if I'm going to keep your kids out of school, keep your kids out of school, all at the same time, then it did make sense with an illness like that. But probably wouldn't make a lot of sense when we're dealing with the common cold or what have you. So let's talk chickenpox for a moment because okay. kids shouldn't get it. They get shots against it. Kids should not get it. I think what you does rank as one of the highest um, sort of completers of vaccinations for kids, 85 percent. But there is 15 percent <laughs> that have not been immunized.
0: Well, and I'll tell anybody who's worried about getting shots for, excuse me, chicken pox is, you know what? Have you heard of shingles? Because shingles is really painful. There are plenty of commercials about shingles and nobody wants to get themselves shingles. If you get the vaccination for chicken pox, you're not going to get shingles. Mm -hmm. Because the only people who get shingles are those who have previously been infected with chicken pox. Now, some people can have what we call a subclinical episode, so they never knew they had the pox, but then they get the shingles later on. But for all the kids these days who get immunized against varicella or chicken pox, you won't get shingles. So if that isn't motivation, for any parents out there, that's a good motivator. I don't know what else would be a good motivator for that.
1: Here's a motivator I use for for adults or what have you to talk about it is we wouldn't want to get chicken pox as an adult because – as opposed to children who get chicken pox marks on the face or what have you, adults tend to be sicker as you're well pneumonia. Absolutely. And we get chicken pox all over. So that's all I gotta do is tell our young person <laughs> you're <laughs> gonna get it all over. Like everywhere. Everywhere. They're like Down oh, yonder, it everywhere. Yeah. Because they're miserable. Sure, you get real sick. I've seen on maybe, top of the pneumonias and other things. Absolutely,
0: maybe in the last boy about seventeen years or so, I've seen maybe four cases of pox in adults, and three of them were actually uh, students at UH that were Makes foreign sense. students because they had not been immunized and it wasn't on the list when they came that they had to prove immunity to. Um, and then one person who just randomly had it all over. It actually took several doctors to figure it out because we hadn't seen it. And it was a strange case of disseminated pox all at once. So it, it was kind of out of the ordinary. But and that being said, you, these day this day and age, you really don't have to get chicken pox. You can get vaccinated for it. If you don't know if you're immune or not, you can talk to your provider and they can check Easily. if there's a need. It's a simple blood test, easy to do. Now, when we talk about kids going to school, we talked about when to keep them home, sending them back. When they're home from school, if they're really sick, you know, a lot of times they get behind in schoolwork. How much should we worry about them trying to catch up when they're sick to begin with?
1: Well, when we're looking at the early school age, you know, elementary school age, I guess it is dependent upon the culture of the family and the culture of the school that the child is going to. But I usually say, you know what, we got to keep our kids healthy. You know, it's much more important than whether or not they're keeping up with their homework at that time. But there are things that we could do. Contact our school, contact our teachers, see whether or not we can pick up their homework for them. You know, for the most part, I don't think kids are not able to do their homework if they're going to be home. Right? You just made a lot of kids unhappy. (laughs) We all That's hurt what them. I'm here
0: for. All right, Dr.
1: Ming. <laughs> I don't think there's any
0: reason why they can't do their homework. Okay. And the
1: reason, too, is because we also do want to limit the screen time for our kids, right? So even if they're ill, we still want to keep screen time less than two hours a day. And so if they're home, you know, we want to give them something to do, which is homework or reading. All right. Lots of kids just
0: groaned. Okay. I'm Dr. <laughs> Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Parice, uh, Patrice Timsing from Kaiser Permanente. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about other ways that we can keep our kids healthy. And we're going to go a little bit older in the mix and sort of see what we can do for our middle-aged and high school kids to make sure that they stay healthy, too. As always, if you have a question about your child or concerns about what to do when they get sick, you can always join us, 941 three Toll free from our neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. The most unique thing about public radio is the diversity. Whether it's HPR 1 or HPR 2, the diversity is totally amazing. And you don't get that from any other platform or news outlet. But Hawaii Public Radio, you turn it on in your car, you never know what fascinating information or music you're going to discover. It's fabulous. Member supported.
1: Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. On August
0: 20th, double down with the double bass of Ernie Proventure in an Atherton concert that features the bass in combinations of classical and jazz. Make your reservations at hprtickets.org or at 955-8821 during business hours. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership. Wealth Management. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Patrice Tim Singh from Kaiser Permanente. And today we're talking about how to keep your kids healthy and start the school year right, if at all possible. What should we do if our kids get sick and how do we make sure that they're not bringing home germs to everybody else at the same time? Now, right before the break, we were just talking a little bit about what to do with younger kids. We're going to talk about kids as they get a little bit older. Now, as always, Our show is your show. You can join us at 941-3689, Toll Free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Now, we talked about, Dr. Ming, we talked about the young kids. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about the older kids. So middle school, high school, what are some of the common things that are big issues as we get towards that early teenager, middle teenager kind of time?
1: I guess it depends on who you 're talking to. Are you talking to the teenager or are you talking to the parent? Um, you know. well <laughs> you know
0: i don't i 'll be honest i can 't even pretend to be hip enough to know what 's the big issue when you 're a teenager. My hip years i don 't think ever existed, but if they did, it was so long ago it 's not cool anymore so let 's talk about some some suggestions that that teenagers have to deal with. Like, let's talk about sleep, right? How much sleep do teenagers really need? Is it enough? Are we giving them enough? Should school start later? What's happening there?
1: Well, without giving an exact number, uh, we do know that teens are probably not getting the amount that they need just based on, you know, what time they get home now traffic patterns, the fact that they are playing sports and then they need to come home and eat dinner. I usually recommend trying to get as close as possible to nine hours of sleep. But when you calculate in coming home after, you know, football practice or what have you and then you factor in homework, many times they're not going to bed till ten thirty, eleven o'clock. And for some of the kids, even later than that, sadly. And then they have to get up early to and commute then into get up to school f- to You know, get in the car and fight traffic back to school, depending on where to go to school.
0: So really, if they're not getting enough sleep, then whatever education they're getting, it's it's a good effort, but it may not be sinking in because their brain isn't well-rested enough to absorb it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about brain rest. We're talking at a point where they are at their peak of growing and trying to, you know, at least get to a point of sleep where you can get good growth hormone pulsing and actually get to that potential of height. Sure, because if you don't get enough rest... You'll be shorter. You'll miss that opportunity.
0: You could wind up being
1: shorter. Yeah. Maybe I stayed up all all the time when I was little. I don't know. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, the visual is that you might not be the tallest in the room, but that's okay.
1: Now, what about screen
0: time? I mean, we've got to think that a lot of times kids, their lights are off. Parents may think they're in bed asleep and yet they're Facebooking or I don't know if that's cool enough anymore. Texting or Snapchatting or what's cool? these I, Instagram and Snapchat. Yeah. Okay. Instagram and Snapchat, neither of which I'm on. So these are the cool things that kids are doing. Is there any way that devices can be, I don't know, forcibly turned off at a certain hour? I'm not sure. Yes.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> well then tell us how. Well I think when we when we get to the point of our kid being teen a teen teenager, I hope that's not the first time we're putting limits to anything that they do that this is just one more thing that a, a, a parent would be able to say okay i'm here to make decisions for you and at this point you're going to turn off that i mean do they need their phone i'm not sure you know whether or not they have a you know got to go into the hospital or some sort of call so it does make sense that they either turn the phone off or leave it in the kitchen
0: Sure. So that's one way, forcibly turn it off, mm-hmm. is just give it to mom and dad, and then yeah. they have the phone all night. And it
1: ends up being just an expectation, right? I, I guess, you know, if there is that mutual trust and we do know that the kiddo will put it down, then that's great. But we all know that that social media right now, I mean, a certain amount of screen time, there's an addiction to it. So we, we may need to help them out by setting the barrier and setting the limit to either turn it off or give it to me physically.
0: Well, and also set a good example. Correct. You know, I was listening to uh, I was listening to public radio just uh, last week or so, and they were talking about this story of you know, this camp for kids who have to get Give away from their and media they go through withdrawals right. the
1: first couple of days.
0: And I thought I think some adults should go to that too. You know, just because you have to not be constantly on the phone looking something up, looking up some sort of social media or whatever it is, even just your email, whatever it might be, that you we get so used point. to it.
1: And in fact, in that particular camp. Even the family members felt like they needed their kiddo to have the phone. So some, you know, there's this mutual problem here. They said
0: that. The parents were like, how do I know if my kid can't communicate? You're right. You were listening to it too. (laughs) I thought to myself, I want to go to a camp. I want to go out there. You know, there's another study that was done that showed kids who spend time outdoors, particularly out in the woods, tend to have less issues with stress and anxiety. There's something healing about being in nature.
1: And also, I think, you know, something in their culture of being active, doing that kind of stuff to bring down stress rather than, you know, just screen time, screen time, screen time. Yeah, It must have to do with even endorphins and serotonin and just releasing that kind of good hormone just from activity alone. We look at, you know, being sure that the kiddos don't do any more than two hours of screen time, but they also need one hour of physical activity every day. We all need it. I think we should.
0: Right. We should all put down the screens, put down the phones. I agree. And uh, get out there and be more active. It's kind of hard. Like you mentioned, you know, you have the parents that drive in. They get up so early to drive in, drop their kids off at school, pick them up, drive all the way home. They get home. They have to cook dinner. The -hmm. kids have homework and all of a sudden it's dark out and it's hard to go out there and get the activity you need. But it can be done. You can purchase exercise equipment for your home, or Mm -hmm. you can have weekend outings where everybody's out there together. Are families spending enough time with one another?
1: I guess the easiest answer would be no. However, it's not like they're not doing important things. It's whether or not we prioritize the opportunity to share time together. And the ways that we could go about that would be that we, when we're in the home, that we share time together. The media stuff get put away and we are looking at each other in the eyes and talking to each other. Some, one opportunity is let's have meals together. I mean, there's a bunch of evidence around families being happier if they do sit and have a meal together. One, so just that interaction,
0: sure, discussion and whatever it is, you get to hear what's going on mm-hmm. in the lives of kids and in the lives of what's going mm-hmm. on in their And in particular, it's
1: very important for teenagers to do that. We, will, we don't have a lot of opportunity to talk story with them. And it's at that point that we find out, you know, what's, what's cool. happening at school. Sure. Um, who are your five friends, you know? What do you guys do for fun, you know, so that we become interested in them as people rather than just trying to tell them what to do?
0: <laughs> bullying, it's a huge issue in schools. It's a big thing. Mm-hmm. There's there's just physical bullying. There's in-your-face bullying. There's also social media bullying. We keep hearing about how episodes of this on the mainland have upset kids so much that they have harmed themselves or threatened others. I mean, it just sounds so... So horrible. I mean, when I went to school, and once again, here's how old I am, we didn't have cell phones. Yes, people, there was a time before phones and computers and the Internet. And that's when I went to school. So I didn't have to worry about those sorts of things. It seems impossible to conceive these days of how many different ways in which kids have to protect who they are or what they believe and how they interact with one another. What advice do you have to parents or even to teenagers who are either victims of
1: or maybe concerned about bullying in schools? I guess we've always had bullying. Bullying was more obvious, though, right? Because Mm. you could see the kid physically, you know, coming up to somebody else and, either, you know, being physical with them or verbally abusive or what have you. But the trouble with this kind of social media bullying, it's in secret. We really don't know what's going on. And, and more times than not, it's an individual kiddo who's bullying an individual other kiddo, and it's we don't know that that's happening. And that's the toughest thing about that kind of turmoil for a kiddo who's being bullied. We start off by preventing something like that. I mean, what do we consider n- normal human relationship Stuff about being respectful of yourself, being respectful of others, and if you find that someone is not, then tell somebody <laughs> you know.
0: well, should parents have passwords to their kids' social media? That's an interesting question
1: yeah i I guess I would say in general, no because there's a certain amount of confidence that we want teens to have. That is assuming that we've also had the talk about responsible um, social media use because there is a lot that needs to be done because the kids are so wired up, you know, and they haven't had the talk about how to protect themselves and others from sharing too much information or being put out there without even realizing that that particular statement, that particular photo or what have you, isn't just on your phone. It hits everywhere. And I think it's just something, just like the air we breathe now, they don't realize the ramifications of what happens with it once it exponentially moves from one you know, phone to another phone to another phone. So much of this, of this is based on ignorance on the part of the team. And it may be an ignorance on the part of the generation too because I think as a parents we may, we didn't have that. Right? So we didn't realize that we had to talk about that. Yeah, because everyone's new to it.
0: (laughs) Right. When you mentioned the talk, I'm like, the sex talk? No, the responsible social media talk. Oh, okay. (laughs) So it's kind of related, but not really. That's the new quote, the talk with your kids. Well, because I remember a while back when. There's a question about not that long ago, should employers be allowed to look up their employees on Facebook? Should they be allowed to discriminate who they're going to hire based on what they see in their social media profile? And in the last few years, you know, there have been like teachers who have on their profile like pictures of indiscretions that might be really inappropriate and or pictures of some type of body part they probably shouldn't have Mm -hmm. done. And so, you know, these are, these are uh, professionals that in some cases on the mainland were fired because of what was on their social media page, mm-hmm. which you would think would be somewhat confidential, but really is not. Mm-hmm. Once you put it on the computer, assume that it can always be discovered at some point in the future. So be very careful what you post and what you put on there because it may not be virally shared, but there may be a day when you wish that you didn't post whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So be extremely careful about that. What else is included in the social media talk? So be careful what you post. Don't have too much screen time. Are there any other precautions that we need to think about for kids as they start to engage with the Internet? I mean, I remember when I first started using computers, I was really worried about viruses and what if somebody...
1: Or mm-hmm. to somehow I downloaded mm-hmm.
0: something and there was a virus. What about things like predators on the internet? how How do we help protect kids from from danger on
1: computers? Well, there was a. I mean, you, you would have to talk about having that kind of responsibility to be careful about sites. So there are some. Parental blocks that you can have, so that so you can
0: with the internet have some parental
1: blocks, so that they couldn't visit certain sites. Um, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to have to be in the part of the parents to have an awareness as to where is my child visiting. You know, as far as the sites that they're visiting, being sure that kids do not share personal information. um, That if they are talking. On the internet that it is, actually is a personal friend, like somebody somebody that they personally know rather than you know Shirley down the street who claims to be Shirley, but in reality it's somebody else that we shouldn't be having those kinds of anonymous talking
0: so you have to know who it is, be really careful at least who for it kids is. right sure, absolutely, and I think. There's a lot of different things. I mean, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Mm-hmm. Don't click on those ads. Be careful. Have virus software, et cetera. But also be able to look at the browsing history. That's one thing mm-hmm. that parents can do is say, what sites have my kids been going to so that I can make sure that I think they're protected and they're in a safe environment? All right. Well, let's talk about that other talk, the one that I thought you were mentioning, but totally <laughs> wasn't. At what age should parents start to have, you know, the reproduction talk that... Horrible sex talk that you never want to have with your parents because you're like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. And yet it's really important for parents to start telling their kids about how to be responsible as they go through puberty, et cetera. When do you recommend parents have that talk?
1: The talk. That other talk. So that talk begins from the time they're born. Not sex, but it's about having respect for yourself. So... I I tell my families that it doesn't just one day appear that I got to talk about my kid's body and whether or not, you know, hopefully that it's been something we've always talked about. Choose friends who respect you, blah, 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 blah. And usually it's going to be at the preteen mark that we're going to talk about actual intercourse and what have you in relationship. That's at least how I deal with it in my practice. And
0: so, usually, preteen, before puberty, before some of those changes occur, start to bring up this discussion about so that, your
1: body and respect for your body. And-
0: so that when when different changes happen, it's not completely out of the blue. Correct. And a guy or girl, you know, whatever whatever the situation is, whatever your your child needs to know, it can be mom, it can be dad, it can be both together. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the best scenario if possible. And if not, just try and match. And give them information about what your experiences have been and kind of share that so that they can feel comfortable having that chat with you
1: later. I mean, there are many families who aren't comfortable, you know. And so some of those families come to me and ask me to help them with that. To, like know, have the talk
0: for them, yeah, and and it does. How does that work out in an well, office? Well, we visit?
1: we have questionnaires. We actually ask our preteens and teens questions around their body and changes, and if they have any questions. So that at least has been helpful for our family. So so that we have open communication with our teens.
0: Do you find that teenagers need some private time without their parents as part of their routine visit? Should parents be upset if the doctor says, okay, now I want to go ahead and see, you know, Johnny or Mary or whomever by themselves for a few minutes, and mom and dad, you wait outside?
1: Is that a bad thing? Well, in my practice, I already tell them by the time they're 10, okay, a couple more years, mommy will stay in the whole time, but by the time you're 13, you're going to be left in the room with me just to share some confidential stuff so that we can talk stories. So for me, because it's longitudinal care, the families pretty much know that that's going to happen already. In fact, some of the teens look forward to it. We're not even talking about secrets or anything, but it gives them that time to say, hey, I'm, you know, it's just you and me. And so and in we that can be case, more candid about
0: sure. things. Right? You can find out where they're at with different elements Correct. of what they know, what they don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. And as long as it's information that you know they're not acutely in danger of hurting themselves or others, I just tell them that it's all confidential. It's really your opportunity to ask me the question that you haven't been able to ask another adult.
0: And that really is confidential,
1: unless Correct. there's
0: some risk. They can come to you uh-huh. and ask you whatever. Mm-hmm. That's all going to be kept between the two of you. Mm-hmm. And mom and dad are okay with that.
1: Yeah. And it's at this point that the pediatrician will use the terms like, many times I ask teenagers if they're having sex or what have you, is that a concern that we should talk about? So I use them many times or many teens, that kind of thing. And then it usually allows them to open up more.
0: Well, that's another nice approach is mm-hmm. to let them know, hey, this is something I do routinely. Mm-hmm. This isn't targeted towards
1: you. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's have an opportunity should you have questions. Mm-hmm. All right, lots of things that kids these days need to learn. It's back to school time. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Patrice Tim Singh from Kaiser Permanente. And we are talking about how to keep kids and entire families healthy. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about at what age does pediatrics end and kids start to find their own doctors? And what are some of the challenges that kids may have in that whole process? We have a show that is live, so we're here and you can be here too. You can join us at 941-3689, Toll Free Neighbor Islands, 877 We'll be right back. Stay with us. Raising kids isn't easy any way you do it. It means hard choices sometimes. Well, I couldn't go to school and work and go to their work program. There was just no way out of it. So one had to go. And I had to obviously leave school, continue working to support my three children. I'm Kai Rizdal. Life after welfare reform next time on Marketplace. This evening at 6, following The Body
1: Show. On August the 27th, the Atherton Studio is your portal to the rich cultures and folk music traditions of the lands from Mexico to Argentina. Enjoy corridos, boleros, cumbias, tangos, and more. Make your reservations at hbrtickets.org or at 955-8821 during regular business hours. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership Wealth Management.
0: Welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my friend, Dr. Patrice Tim Singh from Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking today about how do you keep kids healthy? When are kids no longer kids? What are the kind of talks that parents should be having with their kids more than I thought? <laughs> and our show is, as always, your show. So if you have a question or a tip or something you've learned about how to bring up a difficult conversation with your loved ones and kids, please. Join us and share your wisdom. We can all learn from one another, and you can do so at 941-3689, toll free, 877-941-3689 from our neighbor islands. Now, we've talked a little bit about Dr. Dr. Patrice. We've talked about um, what things we should do getting rest and, and activity, but what about nutrition? You know, a lot of times kids can eat whatever they want. At a certain point, and then fast forward 20, 30 years, they can't eat that anymore, not the way they used to. Mm -hmm. It almost seems like kids are calorie-burning factories. I wish I had those years back. But uh, what are some of the good nutritional things that we can do to help our kids so that they don't wind up heading down a path that is going to make them predisposed to things like early-onset diabetes and other sorts of conditions that we find might be increasing in our youth?
1: With respect to early onset diabetes, so the most important ends up being what we put in and how we work it off. So, activity, 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 we want to do that from the time they are born to keep them active. Uh, that would be translated as an hour of activity every day. Now, with respect to nutrition, which many kids aren't getting, in fact, many families aren't getting, the recommendation is to have five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. <laughs> and, and, you know, Seriously, are we really getting five servings of fruits and vegetables every day? I, not I think unless you're it drinking is. five glasses of VH juice. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful endeavor, and I bet
1: there yes, are plenty there's of people the goal.
0: who are getting that. But I think for a lot of other folks, maybe that's not what they've been able to achieve.
1: Mm-hmm. And five servings is the equivalent of, say, a kid looks at his palm. I usually will say the fruit size or the amount of fruit that you're going to eat is the size of your palm. That would be one serving. Um, which is a good amount. I I tell my families, and sometimes some families are not able to afford the fresh fruit, the fresh vegetable. So despite the fact that many may be against canned, I usually say, well, you know what? If you can find no sugar added fruit or no sugar added um, other fruit type or vegetable types, that go pick that up because that's better than not having any fruit or vegetable.
0: And some of the fresh frozen stuff could be good too. Correct.
1: All right. And in general, you know, keep away the fried fried foods and saturated foods and what have you as well.
0: And I guess you mentioned earlier family time, dinner time. Mm-hmm. That may be a good time to sort of incorporate some of those different servings that may not have occurred throughout the day to really help focus on the nutrition. We'll talk about where, how we can get kids to eat breakfast in just a moment. We've got Douglas on the line from Manoa. Douglas, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, um, quick uh, question. Earlier you were talking about fevers and colds. Can you clarify, feed a cold, starve a fever? Interesting. Feed a cold, starve a fever. I've heard that. I like to feed all those things, but it's probably not the best
1: scenario. But have you heard that uh, mnemonic, Dr. Ming? I really have heard that term. I'm not sure where it came from, you know, whether or not it's western side, eastern side, because even the easterns, they'll say certain things like you can have cold, 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 fl- Foods when you have a cough or what have you, but you you shouldn't have it if you have a fever. I, you know, I I don't know the science behind it. It's not typically something that I recommend to families. Don't
0: get dehydrated. Yeah. You know, one I of usually things, say fluids, <laughs> fluids, no matter what. Yeah. Absolutely, is your body needs a certain amount of extra. Mm-hmm extra energy to fight off an infection, whether it just be with a fever or with a cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. The science matches that old recommendation, Douglas. Um, you know, don't get dehydrated when you have a fever because you're burning through your fluids. And if you have a cold, don't wind up with so few calories that you're not able to fight off that infection. But it doesn't really exclude eating when you have a fever or drinking fluids when you have a cold. So right. I think it kind of goes a little bit for both. One more question? Sure. Vaccinations. Uh, What does the doctor feel about HPV vaccinations for teens? Excellent question, HPV. Are you on board, Dr.
1: Patrice? Yes, I am on board. We begin our HPV vaccinations at 11 years of age. It is a vaccination series that uh, includes three different shots, and it does prevent illness. It prevents more acutely genital warts or what have you, but cervical cancer. So I am all in.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the reason why I think some people are concerned. Why would we start giving things like HPV vaccination to kids that are so young? But really the issue is that if you wait until there's exposure, then you waited too late.
1: Correct, and we only have till 26 years of age.
0: Right, that's the limit for where we've seen the most efficacy of Mm -hmm. that particular vaccine. So if you want to you want to really protect against hpv start the vaccination series pretty early so that you can get in all the vaccines necessary by and 26 isn't a magical age it's just basically where we've seen most kids have had some type of Mm -hmm. sexual activity or exposure and so then if they've been exposed to the virus now if they don't have immunity they have that in their body correct and we know it causes cervical cancer genital warts Mm -hmm. and in some cases anal cancer as well All right, so we're on board with HPV there, Douglas, on board. Now, we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, how to incorporate nutrition into someone's diet, and Douglas asked a great question about what do you do when you're sick, and how do you make sure that that's something that you can take care of? Ways to improve the nutritional status. I often think that parents have to go by example. And if you you make breakfast and you eat breakfast, your kids are more likely to eat breakfast, and... There have been plenty of studies that have shown that kids who go to school hungry don't learn as well. Correct. Does breakfast have to be a sit-down event? Could it be have yourself a healthy, nutritious, like, shake or granola bar or something that helps get the
1: get the brain going? Well, I usually say something is better than nothing as long as it's not a sugary sweet. We need a certain amount of protein on board on top of carbohydrates, you know, a banana is fine, but probably a banana and peanut butter, a banana and yogurt is going to last a little longer until the lunchtime hour. Um, no, we don't need to sit. It's preferable that we do, but the realities of the morning is everyone's rushing.
0: <laughs> so if you're driving, <laughs> yeah. you can even have- Granola bar. I mean, dip your banana in the yogurt. Mm-hmm. You're not moving far if you're mm-hmm. in traffic anyway, mm-hmm. so that you could actually find ways to incorporate this all together.
1: And in fact, many public schools will offer breakfast in the morning. Some of them do. Mm -hmm. Now,
0: when should kids no longer see their pediatrician? That's sort of an interesting question. It varies based on different groups. And you've done training in pediatrics and in medicine. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have that dual aspect of taking care of folks. Mm -hmm. In general, in your department, when do kids start to transition to seeing an adult doctor?
1: The strictest would be that once they hit 21, they're off to the family practice stock or internal medicine for p- pure pediatrics. But the reality is, is many of our kids are in college at that time. So it does make sense from a continuity point of view and the fact that we have a relationship with that, with them to keep them through the college years. Now, I, I think depending on the child, they may be interested in already choosing uh, for females, maybe gynecology or other specialists, but usually we're gonna stop care at twenty one years of age. Okay.
0: I know that we'll see people eighteen and up in my office. Correct. Which is internal and in fact medicine. sometimes even
1: less than that adolescence for for internal medicine too sometimes. So. I guess yeah that has that that's depending been an issue. on where
0: sure, sure a couple of times and, yeah. and I've usually said if you're over eighteen then that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um and that probably is just hearkening way back to, you know, can you give consent for yourself at some point? Um, and that that's probably where that came from. It may not be a scientific thing because a lot of times kids will still need some of the immunizations and recommendations from the pediatrician, and just because your waiting room may have chairs that are super small for young kids doesn't mean that you don't know a lot about kids as they get older as well.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think for they might me, want the lollipop at the end. Yeah.
0: You know, they might. I'll have to get some lollipops. Actually, we don't but. have lollipops. Sticker, <laughs> sticker. Okay, raisins. Every time I go to the dentist, they always offer raisins, and I'm like, "Well, this is a real healthy thing for raisins." Maybe I always go around Halloween. I'm not sure, but uh, okay. So it could be it could be 18. It could be 21. Whatever mm-hmm. is most appropriate and applicable to that particular mm-hmm. child. And sometimes kids can wind up seeing their parents' doctor. And sometimes they can find somebody maybe gender-specific of their own needs.
1: Correct. I see a lot of reason why we would keep our kiddos during the early college years. There are, you know, different talks that we do for college kids to keep so them safe. So what those talks? Tell me. You know, there's lots of talks I'm hearing correct. about today. So, you know, there's going to be more independence out there, right? The things that we do as college kids. So I, I talk to them about being safe. Um, In particular, if they're in dorms, how do they keep themselves safe? How do they stay away from alcohol and drugs or being drugged or going to parties and being sure that they stay in couples and leave in couples with their friends, never leaving the, um, their friends there at the party, things like that?
0: Yeah, these are things that, I mean, that's a whole other aspect of medicine, where you're talking about trying to prevent accidents. Most common cause of death in uh, people below the age of 30 is actually more accidental and injury, an injury as injury. opposed to something where there's an illness. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And when kids go off to college and they are uh, at a different campus, often these days, due to some of the provisions of the Affordable Care Act, which some people like and some people don't, but respectfully, kids now can be under their parents' insurance till 26. And many are. And so that insurance coverage is available should there be a need for any medical intervention, Mm -hmm. even if they're Mm off-island.
1: And it makes sense for, for the kiddos. In fact, when we go to college, another thing we talk about is if you get sick, if you get a fever, please get help. You know, they don't have a parent or whatever that realizes you're in bed and you've got a fever. But we're happy that there are at least many of them, more than 80, well, about 85% are protected from meningococcal disease, which is a killer disease. That's one of the vaccines that they get prior to 16 years of age, and then they get a booster after 16 years of age. Yeah, that's something you'll actually
0: see. There's some advertisements for it these days. Yes. Because I remember when I went to college, I don't think that was a shot that was it. given. But nowadays, it's actually given, and there's a booster to it. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have two. Correct. Now, a lot of colleges will have student health centers. Still a good place to get care? Correct. So if you're if you're in school and you're sick and you need something, please go there.
1: Yeah, those are the you know the greatest place for them to get access. It's going to be common college problems: fever, cold, strep, STDs. Sadly.
0: Well, and what about birth control options? Is that something some of the student health centers can handle as well? Correct. What about pediatrics? Do you as ever wind p- up having that discussion about birth control? Yes, and. For women who want to start on birth control, they should probably have at least one GYN visit evaluation.
1: You know, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. At what point do we do the female exam for women um, or adolescents who may be interested in birth control? The recommendation really is not to do a GYN exam, that we do not need to do that till 21 years of age. With that said, We would treat each patient individually, because there may be need for me or another to do a gyne exam, depending on whether or not they are presenting symptoms that suggest an STD or what have you. But in general, it's more about another, the talk, rather than the exam.
0: So if, if a, a teenage girl said, you know what, I want to get birth control pills and we shouldn't create barriers for them, barriers being you have to go have a GYN exam if they haven't yet been sexually active. We really should be as proactive as we can to give them whatever options that they choose so that they can have a more appropriate planned out pregnancy, should that be what they want, and not wind up, you know, dropping out of school or whatever the case may be, because too many barriers were put in front of birth control access.
1: Yeah, correct. And, and you know, they are legally, you know, protected that at the age of 14, they have the opportunity to not just talk about those um, medications or what have you, but to actually get it in confidence. And...
0: Fourteen. This since I see eighteen years old. This mm-hmm. is this is kind of news, but I've heard about it. So any fourteen year old can come to you and say, "Hey, listen, during my private time with you, this is what I want to do," and it's not going to be something that they have to tell or ask mom or dad.
1: Correct. Will they find out anyway through insurance? You know, my usual talk is that. It really is easier to be open and honest with our families. But if we are at the point where you are at risk of getting pregnant, um, we can at least talk about it. I spend a lot of time talking about the reason why they want that particular thing and how we can, you know, I, I still stress abstinence. But if, you know, the reality is some aren't. And so I said, well, okay, so if you're going to do this and how do you keep yourself safe, it's not about birth control pills. It's also about prevention and using condoms and what have you. It's about choosing partners who respect you because you want to respect yourself, that kind of thing. And then at the end, yeah, they might get their medication, but they are legally protected to get that kind of talk and get that kind of medication at 14 years of age in the state of Hawaii. Well, and I think it's excellent because, again, we
0: need to give and provide options. And everyone can have their own beliefs, whether they be religious or cultural or or ethical, et cetera. And please respect those beliefs. But if we give options to somebody rather than using my beliefs to make me project that on you, give you the option to make your own choice. That definitely seems to be essential, mm-hmm. particularly in this day and age.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree completely.
0: So the general idea, kids, if they're sick, should stay home. Kids, if they're not so, and they can still do their homework. You mentioned that. You lost some friends there. (laughs) But uh, if they're not sick, they should go to school unless there's some compelling reason not to. And for kids who happen to be in some of our local schools, long commutes, you really got to work on trying to get in nutrition as best as possible. Mm -hmm. Get in the physical activity All these things that people have to do in the course of a day, how do parents figure all that out while taking care of themselves? It's going to cause a lot of stress. It's going to cause parents stress. It's going to cause kids stress.
1: I guess for me, knowledge is power. It's just giving the parents a goal and trying to talk to them if they have barriers to getting meals on the table or what have you. How can we go around it to still provide healthy meals, healthy time, keep our kids active and healthy, yeah?
0: Well, a lot of the public schools I know actually offered um, lunches throughout the summertime, that there are some schools, and you can probably go to the Department of Education website that were actually offering nutrition throughout the summer because of the same concern you mentioned. Sometimes parents can't provide that level Mm -hmm. of nutrition at home Mm -hmm. for a variety of different reasons, and at least there are some schools available even during summertime, although schools back in session, Mm -hmm. that can help to assist with that as well. Mm -hmm. So. Lots of things that parents need to keep in mind. I'll tell you. I don't know. Would you want to be a kid these days? Yeah.
1: It's uh, you know.
0: Best part about it would yeah. be not having to pay a mortgage yeah. and deal with responsibility. Yeah, I, I, I want to be a
1: kid these days instead of, right? So.
0: Okay. Instead <laughs> of, I see. Well, true, true. There are lots of good reasons, and uh, be careful with the screen time. Be careful with some of those other activities. Pokemon. That's been getting everybody up off the couch. Unfortunately, maybe not looking where they're going. Yeah. I mean, hopefully not in front of a vehicle. That has (laughs) happened. There have been several different incidents throughout the mainland,
1: throughout the world, actually, where people have been injured because they're just not paying attention. I mean, it's just illuminating the problem we have across the board. It's not Pokemon. It's just our addiction with, you know, the screen.
0: (laughs) Well, that and I think not being aware of our surroundings. Yes. You know, I think when we talk about pedestrian fatalities when we talk about people who just aren't looking or they're listening to music, walking with headphones, not really being cognizant of what's going on around them,
1: that's going to affect us in various ways no matter what the situation is. I agree. And we've got to do something about it because it is the leading, you know, injury is really the leading cause of morbidity and mortality for people under 40 years of age. Very
0: true. Very true. And I've noticed that you haven't looked at or even touched any kind of smartphone this whole entire time.
1: Oh, I do use my smartphone, but, you know, I put it away when we need to. And in fact, I have to tell myself when my child is with me, put it away, put it away. So my friends know that the only time that I actually will talk with them or what have you is on the way home from work. Um, From work, I go home and then take 30 minutes. That's when I make my calls. I come home and it's put away. Because I want my child to see that that's what's expected that at the time that he will get his own, which will probably be 16 and older. Then, so that's you the think, ex- Mom? <laughs> just give him a good example. Yeah. One of the things the
0: parents can do is just try their best to provide that good example, so that their kids can't say, "Yeah, but you do it, Mom," or "You do it, Dad." Mm-hmm. Another area "Do as where, I say, not, not as, as I, I do. do." My God, I think I think we were raised by the same parents. <laughs> All right. Well, I so appreciate you sharing some of these tips with uh with all of us today. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Dr. Patrice Timsing is a pediatric specialist at Kaiser Permanente, seeing kids of all different ages, and is available through Kaiser's website. You can hear more about some of the things that she's out there doing and helping out with parents and kids. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Bethany Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week. We're going to be talking about chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. That's right here Monday on The Body Show. We'll see you then.